Jesus House in Pursuit of God Discovering Purpose Maximizing Potential Impacting Lives This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London God bless you Father, we just want to thank you and bless you um, for your love for us. We, we give you all the praise and glory. And we thank you for your faithfulness, your tender mercies, your amazing compassion, your amazing grace. Lord, challenge us today with your word, Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Turn again in your Bibles to Luke, the fifth chapter. It's our foundation text. Um, the word God gave us, verses 1 to 11. Luke, the gospel of Luke, the fifth chapter, verses 1 to 11. So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and and caught nothing, nevertheless at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. It's a word that the Lord gave us at the start of the year. And for the uh, last month or so, um, we have literally been breaking down this word so that we can apply it to our lives. The whole essence of our, our pursuit of God is that we are discipled to become like Christ. That's how we cope with life. That's how we overcome. That's how we are more than conquerors. Amen? Praise God. If you wanted a title for today's um, excerpt, um, of this, this, this overall theme, Launch Out Into the Deep. Um, the, the title would be, I Am Called. I Am Called. God has fashioned you and I for his plan for us. He has made you and I, put into you and I, all that is required for us to fulfill his plans and purposes for us. We really don't have to look for anything else 
to fulfill God's plans and purposes for us. Everything that is required, He has wired into us. He has put in us. It might be latent. It might require to be mined, to be worked on. It is, in most of us, potential. But whatever is required for you to fulfill his plan for your life, he has already put in you. 1 Peter, the fourth chapter and the tenth verse, the amplified version says this. As each of you has received a gift, each one of us at birth received a gift from God. We didn't earn it. We didn't work for it. We don't deserve it. But God has chosen to give a gift. And the Bible says that gift comes in the form of a particular spiritual talent, a gracious divine endowment, something he has given purely by grace. Might be a spiritual talent. It might be a gracious divine endowment. And every single one of us receives that gift from God. It's woven into our person. It's part of who we are. We come with it for the assignment that we are to do. Because of what he would have us do, he has put in us what will make us do what he will have us do. And so the Bible goes on to now charge us to employ it for one another. And that's where diligence comes in. That's where discernment comes in. That's where application comes in. And all the many other things, mentoring, that can help us to identify the gift, hone the gift, and deploy the gift. And we deploy it for one another. The whole essence of the gift is outward focused. That's part of the selflessness of the kingdom, that what God gave me is not for me, it is that I might serve others. So it says, employed for one another as befits good trustees. Those who have received something in trust is not theirs. That's why when you find people who are proud or arrogant about something that they have, a grace, a gift, a divine endowment, they have no understanding. They don't understand that is gracious which means they didn't work for it. They don't understand that it's a divine endowment, which means God gave it. When you understand what a gracious divine endowment is, it humbles you because you marvel that God, why did you choose me with all my failings, frailties, to give me this particular endowment? grace or gift 
And he says we are trustees of God's many-sided grace. We are faithful stewards. That's what we are, faithful stewards. And one day we will be asked to account for what God has given us. What did you do with the gift that he gave you? Faithful stewards of the extremely diverse powers and gifts granted to Christians by unmerited favor. He's fashioned you for what he would have you do. Psalms 139, verses 13 to 15. I like the Passion Translation. It says, You formed my innermost being, shaping my delicate inside and my intricate outside, and wove them all together in my mother's womb. I thank you, God, for making me so mysteriously complex. Everything you do is marvelously breathtaking. It simply amazes me to think about it. How thoroughly you know me, Lord. And then the message would put it this way. Oh yes, you shaped me first inside, then out. You formed me in my mother's womb. I thank you, high God. You're, you're breath, breathtaking. Body and soul, I am marvelously made. I worship in adoration. What a creation. You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made bit by bit. How I was sculpted from nothing into something. So if God has done that, why would he change what he has done? Religion tries to tell us that God wants to change us. But true Christianity, God wants to take us back to who we originally are. And so I say to people, the beauty of, of God's creation is that we are so different. So what God wants to do is to cleanse and sanctify what the enemy has marred so that who he created can eventually come out. And I love the way the psalmist puts it. And maybe somebody needs to say this to themselves. The psalmist says, you are breathtaking. What a creation. But the enemy wants you to believe the opposite. And that's where the battle takes place in our minds. He wants you to reject, to dislike who God says you are. And you know, in this day of social media and reality television and all that stuff, that's exactly what happens. Everybody wants to be somebody else. People are obsessed about becoming other people. Instead of discovering who God would have them be. Talking about social media, this is, is, is complete madness, <laughs> you know. It, and it's, it's amazing how very intelligent people become foolish with this thing. Nobody puts a bad day on social media. Everybody puts their best foot forward. I mean, <laughs> I sat in a restaurant and there were two ladies... Um, on the table next to me, well, on a table, a few tables away from me. And because I was alone, I observed them. It was fascinating to me. Both of them had their phones out, and they were pouting and preening and taking pictures, 
you know, they, they, they kind of bend over, then lean this way, lean this way. They were not even taking pictures of each other. They were taking selfies of themselves. And after doing that, leaning this way and that way, they got up and there was a nice garden. They went out and they took more pictures of themselves. So I thought, why, do I come out to, why did you come out to dinner? We, they barely spoke to each other. They were so intoxicated by themselves. I thought, this is madness. Nothing wrong with one or two pictures, but the obsession with it. And guess what? They're going to upload that. And someone is going to start feeling bad. Because they're, what they're saying is, this is the good life. We have a friend. I knew the chaotic state of that friend's family life. Chaotic. But that friend put a picture on social media. Wife and children. Even I almost found myself wanting to be like him. Then I remembered, is this not the guy who is in that mess? Now people are going to be obsessed without knowing that if they exchange your life for his life, the aim should be to be the best you. Not the best of another person. The best you. And you can't find the best you without coming back to him who made you. Because like the psalmist says, you know everything about me. You created me intricately, mysteriously complex. And you won't find the best you in the Kardashians. You will find the best you in Christ. And number two. What he, God, calls you is what matters. John, the first chapter, verses 40 to 42, the Passion Translation. One of the two disciples who heard, who heard John's words and began to follow Jesus was a man named Andrew. He went and found his brother Simon and told him, We have found the anointed one, which is translated the Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet him. When Jesus gazed upon Andrew's brother, he prophesied to him, You are Simon, and your father's name is John, but from now on you will be called Cephas, which means Peter the Rock. This whole, this, this, this verse could preach a sermon. Andrew found Jesus and started following him. He then went and got his brother Andrew, uh, his, sorry, his brother Simon, and said to him, we have found the anointed one. The trick that the enemy has played on the church today is that most of the church has lost the passion to go and tell others we have found. When was the last time you told someone, I have found him? 
we are so consumed with our own lives that there's no space in our lives to tell the good news. But Andrew wasn't like that. He knew that I've got to let them know, those I care for, those I love, those who are my neighbors, I've got to let them know that I have found him because I want them to also find him. We would say, if I asked you and I, if I asked myself, and I chastise myself as well, I'm not a selfish person. But if you found something that guarantees an eternity with God, and that means that what you found, except we don't believe the Bible, guarantees heaven as opposed to hell, if selfishness hasn't taken root, I should be wanting to tell everyone that I've found him. And if you're like me, the challenge is, how do I tell it? It's easier to tell some people. It's more difficult as the concentric circles grow. I was in an Uber yesterday, and a lovely Afghan driver and we just kind of started chatting. And I just knew that, Agu, you've got to, you've got to figure out, how are, you going to, how are you going to introduce Christ? And of course, I don't want to do what some people do, which is introduce it anyhow, and you end up putting the person off. So there I am sitting saying, you know, Holy Spirit, you've just got to help me introduce Christ. And it made me realize that part of a commitment to telling is that I have to go and get equipped to be able to tell the story. And for, 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 for you know, telling the story 101, the basic thing is learn to tell your own story before you're even equipped, before you start quoting scriptures, before you get into an argument, at least tell your own story. Every one of us can say, I was blind, but now I see. And it's my own personal story. I'm not talking about anybody else. Start with that. No one can begrudge you for telling your own story. But even before that, if our heart is in the right place, start by praying for the people. Pray for your neighbors. Be intentional about it. Write their names. I, I've learned from Shola that the things you don't write down to pray about, you will forget. So write their names. Have a book. Have a sheet of paper that you stick on a wall that reminds you. No prayer is wasted. It might just be a sentence or two sentences, but the consistency of that prayer, God is a God who answers prayers. Who are you praying for with regards to their salvation? Has life become so selfish that you're not carrying anybody on your heart? So Andrew went and got his brother Simon and said, we found him. The anointed one, Christ. 
and he brought his brother Simon to Jesus. I don't want to sound really old, but permit me if I say, in those days, Bajo, you remember, in those days, we rarely came to church alone. We always stopped to pick some friend up who didn't know Christ. We didn't know how to preach to the friend, but we could say to the friend, come with me, because we knew that the pastor will preach to the friend. Now, nobody cares. We don't care that the friends we are playing on a PS4, whatever it is, is going, is on a fast expressway to hell. It doesn't bother us. That the colleague that doesn't know Christ is, is heading towards an eternity without God. Is, is not equipped to cope with life. Because he doesn't know Christ. That the family we are in, that if they don't know Christ, then where they're heading is a place that was not designed for them. That's gospel, basic gospel. So Andrew brings his brother Simon and takes him to Jesus. And then the Bible says Jesus prophesied to him. Spoke the mind of God to him. That's what it means to prophesy. And he said to him, you are Simon and your father's name is John. Reality. That is the case. You are Simon and your father's name is John. That's the reality. He says, but from now on, So your Simon, yes. Your father's name is John, yes. But from now on, he prophesies. You will be called Cephas, which means Peter the rock. It says you're Simon the reed, because that's what Simon means, a reed. You're willowy, you're shaky. You're swayed by whatever life brings your way. It's the nature of a reed. The wind blows and the reed bends. And a reed can seem insignificant. It's just one reed. What can a reed do? That's who you are, Simon, a reed. And your father is John, which means all your father's issues are on your, on your shoulders, the circumstances are that you are like your natural father. But Jesus says, but I prophesy to you. I speak the word of God over you. And I declare that you're not the willowy Simon blown any which way the wind wants to blow you. But I prophesy that you are who your father originally created you to be. And you are Cephas, a rock. The truth will always trump everything, including reality. God's word will trump your circumstances. 
will trump whatever has been spoken negatively over you. God's word will trump everything. The truth will trump everything. And maybe we need an understanding of the nature and character of God's word again. We receive our example in creation just so we understand. Because if we are launching out into the deep, we cannot launch out in boats that are defective. The boats have to be ready for the journey into the deep. So we understand from creation that this is how it works. God has a plan. He has a purpose. His plan is to create man. He tells us that in verses 26, 26 to 28 of Genesis, the first chapter. That's his plan. His plan is that man should rule the earth on his behalf. Delegated authority. Kings under him as king. Have dominion on his behalf. But then he looks at the state of the earth. And it's in a bad state. The Bible says in verse 2, Genesis 1, that is without form. It's void. Darkness is on the face of it. And we understand what that could mean. Sometimes a life can seem to be formless. I'm, I'm, I'm just not going anywhere. I'm in a dead-end job. My dreams are not coming to pass. Everyone else seems to be moving on, but I seem trapped. I seem, I seem stuck in this rot. My life is just formless. And a life can seem to have a void in it, an emptiness. Just nothing of substance it would seem. And then sometimes a life can just seem like there's darkness. It's just not happening. Frustration, misery. But what does God do? He doesn't immediately take on another cause. He doesn't immediately find another boyfriend and hope that one will solve the problem in the heart of rejection. He doesn't immediately start to apply for another job. Those things will come later. But borrow a leaf from God. What he does first is with the spirit hovering over the circumstances because without the spirit there, God himself would not have done what he did. With the spirit hovering, very present, a part of what is about to happen, from verse 3, we start to see what God did. Verse 3 says, then God said, let there be light. Can you say about yourself? Can you say what the Bible says about you? Before you run off on the many tangents that we tend to run off to solve the problem, say first. Take the Bible on this journey and sit down. You don't need anybody to write a book for you. Write the book yourself about what the scriptures say about you. So when you wake up in the morning, declare what the scriptures say about you. When a circumstance comes against you, 
that is at variance with what the scriptures say, declare what the scriptures say. And to our amazement, we read story after story that God said, let there be light. And the darkness disappeared. So what are you saying about yourself? Toza wrote a book. I talk back to the, to the devil, I think it was called. Satan must never have the last word in your life. When he says it in your head, speak out against what he has said in your head. If he has the last word, he has won that battle. What are you saying? That's why Jesus says in John the 6th chapter and the 63rd verse, the words that I speak to you are spirit and life. The trick of the enemy is to try and make us think the Bible is another book, just a better book, a good book. It's not another book. It contains words that are spirit and life. The message translation, the message puts, puts that, that phrase in this way. Every word I have spoken to you is a spirit word. And it's a capital S. And so it is life making. It's powerful. Jesus says every word I've spoken to you is a spirit word. That means it's, it's a word from the Bible but it has the infusion of the spirit and it makes life. So if no one will prophesy to you, prophesy to yourself. Prophesy on behalf of Christ by the spirit of God. Prophesize spirit words to yourself. Wake up and declare it. Stand at your window and tell the whole of creation who you are. When people tell you who you're not, stop them and tell them that's another person. That's a, that the person you're looking for, go and find them at the old address. In this place, this is who I am. Understand how weighty words are. People are trapped by words that they have spoken, by words other people have spoken which they have accepted. So prophesy over yourself. Prophesy that you're not a failure, that you are successful. Prophesy that you're not rejected, that you're loved. You're not wounded, you are healed. You're not lost, you are found. I'm not confused, I have clarity. I'm not tired, I'm strong. I'm definitely not defeated, I'm victorious. Prophesy to yourself. And if the prophet won't come and prophesy, thank God you have a mouth. Prophesy to yourself. Part of the challenge the church has today is that we hope other people will do things for us. Take the Bible, sit down, spend an hour each day, and write out what the Bible says about you. Declare to that circumstance, because God, God gave us the example. There was darkness. God didn't look for the overseer, the bishop, the pastor. The example he gives us is speak it to the darkness yourself. And if you speak it by the Spirit, the darkness has to bow because it is not your words you're speaking. That's why we didn't say, say speak your words. Who cares about your words? Nobody cares about your words. So speak what God said about you. You're telling your circumstance. The creator of the ends of the earth, the all-knowing God, the all-powerful God, the God who sees the end from the beginning. The God who created you for, 
for your end has said this about me. I dare you not to bow to that word. Number three, the importance of relationships on this journey. <laughs> there are so many I could use as, exa as examples. And you know, my prayer for you is that God will help you open your eyes to identify the crucial relationships that are needed on this journey. Because nobody does it on their own. Joshua needed Moses. But Joshua's part was to be faithful in his service to Moses to unlock his future. Ruth needed Naomi. <laughs> Ruth's role was to be loyal to Naomi. It was the ingredient that heaven needed to sort out her future, the launch pad. For Joshua, it was his dedication to serving Moses that heaven needed. And so when the time was right, it was God who spoke himself to Joshua. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now arise. What did God use? Because like Dr. Nuzo has always told us, really, something does not come totally out of nothing. It comes out of nothing in a natural sense. But the building blocks that are needed in the spirit realm are these things. So what did they need from Joshua? They needed his commitment, his service to Moses. We, that's what we need. They, they needed the same thing from Gehazi, the servant of Elisha. But Gehazi blew it because of greed. And so he didn't give them the ingredients they needed. Gehazi, after Elijah... And Elisha, Gehazi would have been the next prophet we will be talking about. He destroyed his life because of covetousness and greed. Ruth's loyalty to Naomi was the ingredient heaven needed. What a test she had. And there was nothing wrong with Oprah. Oprah that married into the same family as Ruth. Naomi's other daughter-in-law. The Bible doesn't tell us she wasn't a good person. In fact, she, was, she must have been good because she went a bit of the way with them. But when the test came and the examiners are sitting in heaven waiting to mark that exam, she failed that test of loyalty. But Ruth passed that test of loyalty. Ruth 1 verse 14 to 17. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Opa kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. <laughs> May you cling to what you need to cling to. And so Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. It made sense. Naomi told her, I, I can't help you. I'm returning to my people, but everything is lost. You're better off staying with your people. But Ruth had discerned that this was her destiny. Ruth said to her, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after, after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts, parts you and me. Guess what? In heaven they said 
She had no way of knowing that her loyalty displayed so vibrantly had already secured Boaz. She had no way of knowing that the most eligible man in town with all the families that were right parading their daughters because of the seed of loyalty that she sowed, selfless seed, that man would overlook all the beautiful daughters of all the known families. His eyes would alight on a girl in his farm dressed like a, like, like a peasant. So ladies, it's okay, you know. I mean, you know, get the Brazilian hair. Do the eyelashes. Use the mascara and cascara and whatever caras you use. Do all that. It's okay. I mean, do it. Just, just, just don't look like a masquerade, but just do it. It's okay. But don't put your trust in it. Put your trust in God. Ruth didn't do it. She couldn't buy Brazilian hair. She couldn't do the ski, ski slope eyelashes. She couldn't wear the paddings that they wear. She couldn't do any of those things. She was dirty, filthy. Her nails were dirty from gleaning from the ground. She didn't look good. She hadn't gone to have a makeover. She hadn't sat at Selfridges on a stool and they transformed her. She hadn't done any of those things. But when God said... For the seed of loyalty you sowed, Boaz, I will blind him. He will not see any of these girls. He will not know why he has fallen in love with this peasant who is following his truck, picking what falls off the truck. And that's exactly what happened. So thank God for all these things. But don't put your trust in man or any of those things. Put your trust in God. I'm talking about that, about this marriage thing. <laughs> Can I talk to guys who are not married? If you're at the age to marry and you're not married, you're a problem. Seriously. Yeah, you're, you're messing up God's equation. Because the girl can't, can't, can't come and grab you. She, she has to, you know, do, do, do it the proper way like a Christian. So you are sitting there. And you don't understand how God works. You're saying to yourself, a lot of young guys, when I get the house, when I get the promotion, when I get the car, those are good intentions. But sometimes, the way God wants to take you is that he wants her to build with you. Because if you build on your own, it's going to be a problem for the marriage. So some guy is saying, I need some favor. I'm praying and fasting. God says, don't pray and fast. It's a waste of time. He that findeth a wife, findeth a good thing, and obtains favor from me. Find the wife and marry her so the favor comes. And there's nothing wrong with those good intentions. It's good. It shows you're responsible. But please try and discern what the Spirit of God is saying. There's, there's no formula. Relationships. David and Jonathan. Would David have been king if Jonathan hadn't played his part? Absolutely not. 
Value your friendships. It's a dysfunction not to have friends. Someone says the people are not friendly. I say read the Bible. The Bible says if you make yourself friendly, you will find friends. I have, I have no shortage of friends. None. And who knows what a friend is going to do? Elijah and Elisha. Serve. Everybody wants to be number one. But there's a process of apprenticeship. Serve. Where are you submitted? Who are you submitted to? Incidentally, why am I talking so much about marriage today? Ladies, one of the things to check in a guy is who is he submitted to? If he says, I'm, I'm my own man, I'm my own man, I, you know, I, don't, I, don't, I don't do this church thing, those guys in church, all of them are hypocrites, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't do that stuff, I'm a, I'm a my own man, he's going to teach you the lesson of your life when he deals with you. Because what he's telling you is that I have a rebellious spirit, I don't submit to any authority, no one can speak to me, and you think because he has a six-pack and he works in a nice job, you think he's the right guy, don't worry. Like I say to the, the, my team around me, I say to them, I say, Shola, what do I say? I say, on this chair, I'm sitting. These people, they are going to go round and come back and meet me here. Because after, after 30 years, you've seen it all, you get it. That guy has a rebellious spirit. He's not submitted to anybody. Has no mentors. Has no one to hold him accountable. Has no one who can call him to order. Who are you going to report him to when he starts misbehaving? And the list goes on. Barnabas and Paul. Despite all Paul did... It was Barnabas who opened the door for him. The people in Jerusalem, they didn't want to touch Paul with a barge pole. So that guy has been killing all of us. You say he's born again, they say he's fake. So Barnabas went to them with his credibility and integrity and said, no, 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 it's not fake. This guy's the real deal. Give him a chance. And that opened the door. And sometimes the people don't look like they can help you. That's why you've got to be good and kind to everybody. You don't know who will help you. The great Naaman, the general, with, the, with an amazing reputation, the only challenge was that he was dealing with, uh, with leprosy. Who sorted him out? His housemaid. If he had been nasty to her, she would have known the solution and not told him. David is in hot pursuit of those who have taken his loved ones. Consumed by the pursuit. In the same way that a lot of us are so consumed by our pursuit for our career. The next job, the next promotion, the next company. The next skill to acquire. We don't have time for anybody they're time wasters. Don't they know? I'm a high achiever. Triple A. Say, so what kind of personality are you? Say, so I'm a type A personality. 
What's that A? We take over. So don't you sleep at night? No, 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 no. Sleep? That's for wimps. May you not kill over with a heart attack. And in, in this hot pursuit, an Egyptian is lying on the road, wounded, dying. David pauses. His men say to him, let's keep going. They, they have my wife. They have my children. Forget this Egyptian. In any case, we don't even like Egyptians. We've got to catch them, the Philistines. But David says, hang on, no, hang on a second. The milk of human kindness is in him. Let's, 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 let's help this guy. And so they get the guy. They clean his wounds. Guess what? The guy was a slave of the people who took his, his family. So the guy tells them, I know where these people you're looking for are. Treat people who are not at your level with kindness. Be kind to everyone. You never know where it's coming from. Bless everyone. Don't overlook people. The guy who serves you when you go to the restaurant is a human being. The people who clean your room in the hotel, they are human beings. They have families. So just be kind to everyone. Sow seeds of kindness. You never know what harvest is going to be the deciding factor. Let your relationships not be transactional relationships. And you know, a lot of, a lot of what is going on now is just purely transactional. I want to know so-and-so because of what so-and-so can do for me. Ah, you're in Jesus' house. Do you know Pastor Dan really? You don't? Ah, that's the woman to know. Han, PAI and PSI are like this, like this. Once you know her, you're inside. Say, <laughs> so who's Pastor Denrile? I'll show you in church. When I show you, move sharp. These are end times, so you have to move sharp. <laughs> you don't know Pastor Mark? Ah! <laughs> Haven't you heard Pastor Ago talk about Pastor Mark? Anything Pastor Mark says, Pastor Ago has done it. Say, so who is Pastor Mark? Ah! The French church. You don't know him? I'll show you. Then the person comes up to Pastor Mark. He has intentions. Say, Pastor Mark, I'm, this is my situation. Can you speak a word into it? He's not interested in the word. He just wants to get into Mark's pocket. Transactional. What can I get from you? Those relationships, God wants to spit them out of his mouth. Because those people are users. What he wants is for you to serve. For you to bless for you to love, for you to be selfless. I mean, it for what, what, what can I do for you? It will eventually come back to you. But yes, that's what drives you. It's not what you can get. It's what can I do for you. Do you know people get married from transactional relationships? Then they marry and find out that the transaction collapses. Hallelujah. Amen. I think we should stop there. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. Father, we just thank you and bless you. Lord, help us. I know, we know you're preparing us. You're, 
healing the wounds and your plugging the holes in the boats, preparing us, O oh God, for launching out into the deep. Help us. Help us to learn to prophesy to ourselves out of your word. We give you all the praise and glory. If there's anyone who hasn't given their life to Jesus, either you're in this auditorium or you're watching on any of our platforms, the ultimate relationship is that relationship with Christ. It's out of that that we can serve in other relationships, do other things. And so, if you haven't given your life to Christ, what a wonderful opportunity to sort out your eternity like Andrew and then to go and look for the Simons in your life. And what do you have to do? You've just got to open your heart to God. Just invite him in. It's as simple as that. And so, if there's anyone who wants to invite him in and, and start a relationship with him, you would just say this simple prayer, meaning every word of this prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the gift that your son Jesus is. The gift of salvation. I receive that gift into my life. I accept him as my Lord and Savior. I make a commitment to turning away from anything I am doing that is sinful and embracing your Son as my Savior. Thank you for receiving me into your family. I declare that I prophesy into my life that I am now born again today born into your family and I thank you Heavenly Father in Jesus name Amen and Amen Hallelujah if you said that prayer welcome to God's family um, what can we do go on appreciate them yeah that's a good 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 appreciate the new additions to our family so what can we do we can come alongside and encourage you and help you and point you in the right direction um, you know give you resources that can help you, help you find a Bible-believing church because we grow, we grow by fellowship um, somewhere near you. We would love you to come here, but we're not, we're not churchy. We're kingdom-minded. If you can't come here, want to find a Bible-believing church. And you might be somewhere else in the world. Uh, we understand that uh, our church is, is beyond these four walls. Uh, we will find you a good church in that country you are in the world um, where you can grow. Welcome to God's family. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. God bless you.